Falling in love with love is falling for make-believe. Welcome to a new edition of the Neon Jazz Interview Series with legendary jazz singer Sheila Jordan. Over the course of our conversation, this titan of jazz with a very strong sense of humanity was very candid and confident about a hugely interesting life she's led so far. Still going strong these days, this woman was raised in poverty in Pennsylvania's coal mining country, and she's come a long way. She talked about how Charlie Parker was such a great force in her life and urged her into music, how she got started in jazz, and how she released her first album quite late in life, her thoughts on Duke Jordan, how she feels about the mark she's left on jazz, along with many more stories and anecdotes. Please dig this interview, my friends. So I'm just going to go ahead and start. Thank you for taking some time to talk with me. I appreciate it. Well, it's my pleasure. And I'm going to go ahead and start off here. Obviously, you have a rehearsal. I want to get an idea of what has been going on with you lately. Live concerts. I've No, no recordings. I haven't time to record. I'd like to record with Steve Kuhn's been after me to do a duo recording with him for a year now or more, but I just don't have the time right now. I'm so busy. I just got back from Paris and uh, London. I was there during the terrible, terrible disaster, which is very upsetting, and I totally identified with the Parisian people because I saw 9-11 go down, so I totally understand how they were all feeling and what a terrible tragedy it was. And then I went to London and I worked at uh, Dean Street at Pizza uh, Pizza Express on Dean Street, and that was very successful. I never thought that the day after that terrible bombing that people would come out in Paris, but both shows were full. Wow, That's so that wonderful. was yeah, I was, and I dedicated the whole evening to that that beautiful city of Paris and to the Eiffel Tower and to just what was going on. You know, I did songs like Peace, R.S. Silver's Peace, and and did uh, Kenny Durham's composition, Fairweather, all about I tried to keep tunes that had to do with hope, you know. It was very successful, and the musicians which were who were Parisian were great, and so they were great in Paris, and then I had an incredible trio in London, Brian Kalaka, wonderful piano player from um, Edinburgh. So it was a nice tour, and I'm going to Japan on Wednesday. So Wonderful. Well, at the end of the day, music will always win out over any of these yeah. disastrous scenarios. Music's going to win. True. Yeah. I have to also tell you that I'm being awarded an incredible award in Graz, Austria, one of the highest honors given there, and it's not for jazz music. It's just... In general, I was in shock over it. That's going to take place on January the 13th in Graz, Austria. And uh, it was amazing. They gave it to uh, Andre Segovia. And I think the only two jazz musicians that ever got it was uh, Joe Zvalno and um, Art Farmer. And uh, And I'm the third woman that got it. The other two women were opera singers. But then it's for other things, too, you know, like actors and composers. It's a big deal. I didn't know it was such a big deal. Wonderful. Wonderful. Let me go back to the beginning of your life. You were born and raised in Detroit, correct? I was born in Detroit. I was raised until I was a teenager in Pennsylvania with my grandparents because my mother couldn't raise me. She was only just turned 17. So I lived with my grandparents in a coal mining area. 
And then I moved to Detroit when I was 14, and that's where I got turned on to Charlie Parker by putting a nickel in the jukebox and playing something that I thought looked interesting called Now's the Time. I always sang. I didn't know what I wanted to sing. I heard Bird. That was it. So since you were young, since that point on, that was it. It was singing. You wanted a career in it. I didn't, it wasn't even a career. It was just a need to sing. When you're poor and raised in poverty and heckled and hassled and bullied as a kid, your only release, well, the only release for me was music. Wonderful. So yeah. you go from there and you spend time at the vocal trio doing Parker solos with Skeeter, Mitch, and Gene. What was that like? Was that a very early on kind of gig for you? Yeah, that was a, yeah, that was teenager, late teens and singing and singing when Charlie Parker came to town because we were too young to get into the club. So we'd go to the concerts at the Greystone Ballroom when he'd come and play there. And, well, we found him. We always found a way to get into his gigs. (laughs) Or if not, he'd play for us. He'd open the door and play for us. But he always got us up to sing if it was a concert where you didn't have to be... 21 years old to get in because they didn't serve booze at those play at the concerts, you know. I mean, yeah. not it wasn't a bar situation. Well, one of the things that I noticed too is that you know you were working with black musicians at the time. You got a lot of flack from the white community. What was that like? Terrible. Yeah, I could have given up. Most people would have given up the torture and the torment that I got from the cops, both in Detroit and in New York City. And and uh, but not from the cops in New York City, uh, but the people, the cops in Detroit were terrible. They were always taking me down to the police station. Why oh. was I hanging out with blah 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 musicians or people? I shouldn't say musicians. People. I don't use that N word. I never did. I never will. I hate it. It's ugly. But yeah. they would refer to the Afro Americans by using that derogatory expression. And uh, I got to a point where I just said, you know, I'm not giving this up, so I don't care what they do to me. They can put me in jail. I don't really care. I was always there. And then I finally, after I, uh, my first boyfriend was Frank Foster, and then after he went into the Army, I wanted to be near Bird's Music, so I moved to New York City. And, uh, you know, I almost got killed in New York City because I had a loft on 26th Street and 8th Avenue where I used to have concerts and sessions all the time. And I was studying with Lenny Tristano at the time. And I was went out to have dinner with two friends of mine who were uh, Afro-American painters. You know, they were artists. And we were coming back and four white guys in the corner bar jumped us in front of my building and held my two friends three guys held my two friends and the fourth guy was kicking and beating me up and strangely enough a guy walked toward us and he had a gun he was pointing a gun at me I thought it was at me and it was a guy all dressed up in a suit he was a cop he was a plain clothesman he saved my life so I get kicked out of Detroit because of the cops in Detroit and I come to New York and and a white plain clothesman saves my life Wow. And he said to the guy who was beating me up, he said, you know this woman? And the guy says, no. He said, well, get off her. Now, you know, the guy beat me up. He knocked my tooth out. You know, I could have given up. Yeah. And I thought when I saw the gun coming at me before I knew that the guy was in my corner, I thought, I'm going to die for this, but I don't care. Right. I wasn't even afraid. Wow. I'm doing what I have to do in my life. That's how important 
my feeling about, uh, you know, uh, people getting along regardless of their race and being able to uh, live together and work together or whatever, being friends, whatever, and the music. And it was important to me. And I said, either I give it up and I go back to living like in a white kind of community or I work toward this. I, I, I strive for this, which I did. I'm from Native American on my my grandma my grandfather's side of the family. My I mean my grandfather's my mother's father I should say my mother's father on my mother's side of the family we are from the Seneca Nation. My great my three generation grandmother was Queen Aliquippa, and she was the queen of the Seneca Nation. So between that on my mother's side. Uh, my grandmother being a great, you know, a, 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 a great queen, you know, of the Seneca Nation. Hey, listen, if Columbus hadn't come over here and, and, and taken this country away from my ancestors and killed them, I'd be royalty today. Yeah, wow. So I know the prejudice. I know being called a half-breed. I know being called family of drunks because, of course, I came from an alcoholic family. Yeah. So I know all that, you know. So growing up, you ask me, it was torturous. But did I give up the music? Hell no. Right. Once right. I found what I wanted to do, that I did it. And it started out by me just singing on little radio programs, being made fun of by all the kids in the little coal mining town of Pennsylvania. But I didn't give up. Well, that's speaking... my dedication, okay? Yeah, no, that's <laughs> cool. I dig it. And speaking of your career, Talk to me about the influence that Duke Jordan had on you. None. No. It was Bird. No, Duke, you know, Duke, you know, Duke had a, a had a, a coming baffling powerful disease of heroin addiction. The person who the effect that the person who had the effect on me was Bird, man. He's the one. Yeah. Actually sometimes I think I married Duke to be near Bird's music. <laughs> yeah, interesting. But Duke Jordan and I don't really feel ever got the, the just rewards he deserved. I thought he was a beautiful piano player. And when Bird played anywhere, he always got me up to sing and Duke played. But did we do this when we were married? No, he didn't play. We didn't get together and do music. His life was consumed to us finding the next fix. He wasn't even there after my daughter was born. That's wow. how his addiction took over his whole life. And I, he regretted it in the past, but it was okay. I didn't hold the grudge. I didn't take him to court. I knew he had a disease, a cunning, baffling, powerful disease, and I just let it go. So let me ask you this. Your first album was released in the early 60s. Why did it take so long for you to release your first album? Because I'm not out there ch trying to record and trying to become famous. That's not what I'm about. So, I, I, you know, and I never had the courage or the guts or whatever you want to call it to go and say, hey, record me. I'm different or whatever. You know, I'm not into that. Yeah. The person who heard me was George Russell. He came down here, a student of his, at this club that I worked at a couple of nights a week while I also held down a day job typing uh, because I had to support my kid. And um, George Russell came in to hear his student who was playing for us in this little club in the village, and he heard me sing. And he came over and said, where do you come from to sing like that? I said, hell, man, hell. And he said, oh, I'd like to visit hell. So I took him back to the coal mining area of Pennsylvania, and uh, he got to hear uh, me. Uh, uh, we, we went up to this 
my grandmother was still alive, so we went up to this place where all the miners hung out, and there was only one miner at the bar because everybody, all the miners were out of work. This whole thing was taken over, you know, um, where they didn't, where they weren't using that much coal anymore. So the miners were out of work and struggling. There was one coal miner. And so my grandmother introduced us and said I was her granddaughter and that we were both very, very famous. And I said, Mom, I'm not famous. George Russell's famous, but I'm not. So the miner looked at me and he said, Do you still sing You Are My Sunshine, Jeannie? Because Jeannie was my nickname because I didn't like my first name at the time because I got teased. Yeah. And so uh, I said, oh, no, I don't do that anymore. And he said, why not? And then George Russell said, why not? And so then he went over to an old out-of-tune upright piano and started playing. You are my sunshine. We, you know, the way George played. And then uh, the uh, uh, my grandmother pushed him off the bench. And she said, that's not the way it goes. And she played it. And so I sang with her. And then... I don't remember how much, not too much long after after we came back to New York City, George called me down and he played this for me. He, he said, I want you to hear something. He played this beautiful introduction or what or piece of music. You know, he started out playing this beautiful piece of music and then he stopped. He said, okay, sing. I said, sing what? He said, sing You Are My Sunshine. I said, what? I'm not going to sing that. He said, why not? I said, because I'm not going to sing it. He said, yeah, you are. Sing it. I said, with no accompaniment? He said, yeah. That had never been done before, singing Mm. without accompaniment, not in jazz anyway. Yeah. So that's how Sunshine was born. And we originally he wanted to call it a drinking song because it was about drinking in this club with this coal miner and my grandmother, but they wouldn't let us change the title. Wow. So that's. That's who discovered me, and then George Russell paid for a demo for me, and he took it around. And at the time, Mercury uh, Quincy Jones was the A and R man at Mercury, and he wanted to sign me, but Blue Note had already picked me up, and I had signed with Blue Note. So that's what happened. That's how Portrait was came about, all thanks to George Russell. Wonderful. And so your popularity soars in the seventies. What happened in the seventies? I don't know. I don't even think about it. <laughs> Did I get popular? <laughs> I don't know. I think what happened, too, is I went a lot of downbeat. You know, I was always placing nine times, I think, in talent deserving wider recognition. And uh, I don't know. I never, I just don't take any of this stuff too serious. I mean, I'm thrilled and honored, but, you know, I'm not out here to do anything except keep the music alive and teach it to young kids coming up or older people who will, who want to get back into doing the music again. I'm just here to encourage, teach it, and sing whenever I get the opportunity to sing. I don't think too much about it as a career. I think it more of it as a need to sing. It's something I need to do. It's born in me to do. It's part of my life. It's like I get up in the morning, I say my prayers, uh, I have my breakfast, and... And it's like that. It's part of me. It's part of my being, you know. So, it's part of my being, so I have to do it. But not so, to be famous or anything. I don't, I'm don't. i shocked that I've gotten all these incredible awards and gifts that I've gotten from the music because I don't really think too much about, you know, about fame or any stuff like that. I, I'm just glad that 
if somebody's out there and hears me and digs what I do or has acknowledged, you know, anything about me at all, you know, uh, that means the music will go on. I started the first workshop, vocal jazz vocal workshop, at City College in 1978 in New York City. And that was thanks to Eddie Summerlin, who was the head of the jazz department, and John Lewis, who was also teaching up there at the time. And they encouraged me. I went up there and I did a, a, a little trio concert in the afternoon, thanks to Eddie Summerlin. And they asked me afterwards, and the and the the classical voice teacher, Janet Steele, said, you need to come up here and teach what you do. I said, I don't know how to teach. And John said, teach him what you do. That's all. You don't have to teach him anything. Just teach him what you do. And then Eddie said, do you want to do it? Because I can do it. I can make it happen. I said, well, I'll try. So I, I learned to teach from teaching. So let me ask you this. Why do you love jazz? Why do I love Why do I love jazz? Why do yeah. I love life? It's life. Let me ask you this final question. How do you want the world to remember the mark that you left on not only jazz but on music? Oh, <laughs> oh my God! I don't I don't think of myself that way. The mark that well, what I want to what I want to leave the mark on is the young jazz people coming up, be they singers or instrumentalists or whatever. Don't give up. Keep yeah. doing it. It's there's not there's no money in the world that can by the feeling that one gets from combining their music with other musicians when you're when you're together and you're making music there's there's no i can't ex- the feeling is beyond description yeah when it's happening it's beyond description i want every i've had bought out of body experiences from this music not a lot because then you get spoiled. But I have had out-of-body experiences at certain times in my life. It's the most incredible feeling going. It's almost hard to explain. It's like floating over. You know, maybe you've had it at what you do. But all I know is, is I want all of the young people or older people not to give up. Don't give up. Keep this music alive. If you love it, support it, take care of it, trust it. It will come back and pay you threefold if you keep it going. But you have to keep it going. And that's all I want to do. I want to keep what Charlie Parker gave me all those many years ago when I was a, a teenager. He gave me this belief that I could I could uh enjoy what he gave me to enjoy. And that's what I want to teach the kids. I want to teach them, hey, try it, man. And even if you decide you don't want to do jazz, it will only enhance what other what other kind of music you do. That's what it does. It yeah. will enhance that music. Yeah. You know, I hope it will be jazz, but, you know, some younger people, they don't want, you know, they want to know about jazz, but they might want to go somewhere else. But that's Absolutely. okay. It'll only enhance it.
Absolutely. That's a perfect way to end. Okay, thanks. Thank you so Thank much, you. Joe. Sounds perfect. Bye, Yanni. Stay Take well. Care. Hang in there. Keep the music going. You bet. Thanks for listening and tuning in to yet another Neon Jazz interview, where we give you a bit of insight into the finest players and legends that give us all that jazz in Kansas City, New York City, and spots all over the world. And thanks to Sheila for her wit, her strength, her vision, and that voice. If you want to hear more interviews, go to Famous Interviews with Joe Domino on the iTunes Store or visit theneonjazz.blogspot.com for all things Neon Jazz. Until next time, enjoy the music, my friends. Neon Jazz.